Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 1, 1 through 14, called The House of Bitter Bondage. By faith, Moses, Hebrews eleven twenty three, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict or the Pharaoh's edict. By faith, 24, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the Pharaoh or the king. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. That's faith. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Now there's a summary, if you turn back to the book of Exodus, of some of the faith uh, acts that took place in this great book of Exodus. The author of the book of Exodus and uh, the early date places this around uh, 1445 B.C. if you're interested, and I can share more for those of you who want more detail. But the author of the book of Exodus is Moses, And there is no doubt that Moses is the author. Mosaic authorship is fairly easy to prove. Let me just share a little bit with you about the division of the book, and we'll come back to the authorship. Two main divisions of the book of Exodus, chapters 1 through 19, are God's rescue of his people from Egypt. And then the second great division, chapters 20 through 40, are about getting them out of Egypt and safely to Sinai. And then discovering how God wishes to be worshipped as they will embark on the building of the tabernacle. One writer says God takes them out of harm's way and brings them into sacred space. And that's what God does for us too. He takes us out of the realm of the world, the drumbeat of the world, and he brings us safely into sacred space. In this case, it is to walk with him. It is to learn who God is. Often in the Bible and in the book of Exodus, God will say, then you will know that I am the Lord. So God's self-disclosure is a big part of the book of Exodus. And it is also to prepare a people to be a kingdom of priests to our God and a people to be the light, a light to the world. And of course, ultimately, through Abraham, Isaac, (coughs) Jacob, and so on through the nation, it is to bring forth the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this special people is preserved to bring forth the law, to preserve the Hebrew Scriptures, to bring the line to the Messiah through the tribe of Judah. This is what God is doing with Israel to bring hope and light to mankind. And so God will disclose himself over and over. He'll disclose his holiness. He says to Moses, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. At Mount Sinai, he says, tell the people not even to touch the mountain lest they die. I am holy. 
And Moses, at some point later on in the book of Exodus, will say, Lord, show me your glory. I want to see who you are. And God says, no one can see my face and live. But I will allow you to see the back parts of my beauty or my holiness. Moses, as he grew in that relationship with God, he wanted to see the Lord. Show me your glory. I want to see you, Lord. That's what this became about. And Moses, of course, had a special relationship with the Lord. People have divided Moses' life into 40, three 40-year periods, 40 years in Pharaoh's court in Egypt, 40 years in the desert in Midian being trained, and 40 years in the wilderness, wilderness as leader of Israel. Moses didn't really get going until he was 80. That should give a lot of you hope who are thinking that you know maybe you should retire and play golf for the rest of your life. Don't do that because you'll get sick of golf. And golf is a frustrating, humbling game anyway. And so it doesn't matter what age you are, God can use you and does use us. And the things that we go through, experiences like even Moses being in Pharaoh's court and calling, being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it was preparation for him to be used mightily by God. God can use anything and everything in our lives, especially pain. And, you know, I, I look back on uh, a period of time where I worked in the secular world. I didn't enter into full-time ministry uh, <clears throat> until I was 33. And I won't tell you how long ago that was. But uh, I had uh, an experience with a boss who was not a Christian, but he taught me a lot of things about how to do things well, how to show up on time, how to write letters, how to deal with people. And then God used that in my later ministry life uh, you can learn things from a lot of different areas, and God will use things, even experiences with difficult people, which, uh, you know, ministry is, is really about people, and there's a few difficult people in the church. There's not, there's not many, but there's a few. should be smiling a little bit. Anyway, uh, we'll go back to Moses. <laughs> Exodus mentions Moses' writing, if you're taking notes, in 1714 of Exodus 24.4. And 3427. In Acts 7, 22 and 23, just listen to it. It says, Moses, Acts 7, 22, 23, was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. This is Stephen talking. He was a man of power in words and deeds, God's power. But when he was approaching the age 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. In Exodus 24, 4, it says, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. In John 5, 46 and 47, for those of you taking notes on Mosaic authorships, Jesus said to the religious Jews of his day, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me, John 5, 46, 47. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus attributes the first five books of what we call the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, to Mosaic or the authorship of Moses. If Jesus believed that Moses wrote the first five books, then so do I. And there's a lot of people, I'll give you an example. This is one of my commentaries on the book of Exodus. Uh, there are people who write and write and write and write, but their foundations are off to begin with because Jesus said, Moses wrote Exodus. 
end of story for me. Amen? You guys out there? It's a new year. You should be a little bit more vibrant. Anyway. The Ten Commandments come from Moses. Uh, Jesus, in Mark 7.10, says, Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. In Mark 12.26, Jesus answering the Sadducees about a question about resurrection says, Regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, Mark 12.26, how God spoke to him saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Some of you are saying, why didn't Jesus say it says that in Exodus 3? Because at the time of Jesus, there were no chapter breaks in the Bible. They came later for our navigational purposes. So that's why Jesus said in the chapter about the burning bush. And do you know who spoke to Moses from the burning bush? Jesus. Because the one who was within the burning bush is described as the angel of the Lord. So I think Jesus knew a little bit about the story of Exodus, don't you think? Yes. And he attributed the authorship of the book to Moses. This is Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. And with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Hear it. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Jesus went back through the Bible, did a Bible study with those two dejected uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. Went through it. Began with the books of Moses, and Mosaic authorship is undoubtedly the case. I mentioned to you two major views of the Exodus, uh, the Pharaoh of the Exodus. I won't get into more of that, but I will tell you that uh, the the story of Moses ends when he dies on Mount Nebo when he's 120 years old in Deuteronomy 34, and he never gets to enter the Promised Land, which is kind of sad because he does misrepresent God uh, in one of those occasions that I think many of you are familiar with. And we'll get to look at that as we get into chapter 17. But it is interesting that Moses does appear in the promised land later. Do you remember when? At the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is transfigured, and a lot of people think that he's on Mount Hermon, and Moses and Elijah appear. And so Moses eventually people would say, did get to enter the promised land just a little bit later, right? (laughs) As he appeared talking with Jesus. And it is interesting, just write this down for your notes. In Luke 9, 28 through 31, it says, Moses and Elijah, Luke 9, 28 through 31, appeared with Jesus on the mountain glory and they were speaking about his departure, which he would accomplish at Jerusalem. And the word departure in Greek is Exodus. Isn't that amazing? And what Jesus was going to do is die on the cross, rise from the dead, and then he was going to depart back where? Into heaven through his ascension, and he was going to have his own Exodus, but first he would rescue his people as the Passover lamb. Some people say the absence of any Egyptian record of the devastating uh, plagues in Egypt, the ten plagues, And the major defeat of Pharaoh's elite army at the Red Sea should cause pause to question the book of Exodus. But that should not cause speculation as to the authenticity of the historical account. 
One writer says Egyptian historiography did not permit records of their pharaoh's embarrassments and ignominious defeats to be published. Rather, their records read more like propaganda. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. The next topic to dive into was requested by a listener, anxiety. What is it and how do you work through it? And it catches you off guard when people do occasionally. You say, hey, how are you doing? And all of a sudden the cashier at your local grocery store starts telling you how their day is actually going. And it almost catches us off guard because we are so busy. And I think busyness is a huge contributor to anxiety. But I think that's a key thing is that Jesus takes his anxiety first and foremost to his heavenly father. So if we can kind of combine two ideas of what you shared, Pastor Shane. One is that Jesus took it to the Father in prayer. And that's a key. And that's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer Mm -hmm. and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. So that's a wonderful remedy. To listen to the Walk in Truth mini-sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Some people say the absence of any Egyptian record of the devastating uh, plagues in Egypt, the 10 plagues, and the major defeat of Pharaoh's elite army at the Red Sea should cause pause to question the book of Exodus. But that should not cause speculation as to the authenticity of the historical account. One writer says, Egyptian historiography did not permit records of their Pharaoh's embarrassments and ignominious defeats to be published. Rather, their records read more like propaganda. However, says another writer, a text called The Administration of an Egyptian Sage, also known as Papyrus uh, Elpur, describes a series of disasters that sound very much like the biblical plagues, close quote. So uh, there's, there's uh, well-attested evidence that the Egyptians would not document such a defeat because they didn't want it in their record books that uh, little old Pharaoh got humbled by the God of Israel, right? And you know that the ultimate story of the Exodus is that the God of Israel, the true God, his plagues are against the false gods of Egypt. This is Exodus 12, 12. Take a peek just with me. As we set a little bit more foundation, Exodus 12, 12 says, I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, speaking of the Passover, Exodus 12, 12, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and notice, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments, I am the Lord. And so the Lord deals with the false pantheon of Egyptian gods and deals with them plague upon plague 
uh, in the, uh, the ten plagues. And finally, I just want to show you one more prophecy. It's in Genesis 50, so just a page or two back for a second. This is the end of the book of Genesis. The opening line of Exodus tells us that there's a connection between Genesis and Exodus. It is, it is a sequel to Genesis. And the book of Genesis ends with the death of Joseph. And here's what it says. Exodus 50, look at verse 17. Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression, transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers, 50, 18 of Genesis, also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am, am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Since Joseph was the second to the youngest, uh, second only to Benjamin, there are scholars who believe that Joseph is the last of the sons of Jacob to die. He lived a long life, 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Mecher, the sons of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. That could be his brethren, not his uh, actual physical brothers, but you can, you can consider that. I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you. You shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. The last words of the book of Genesis and now the opening uh, words of Exodus. Scholars say the Hebrew should be uh, rendered and a sequel to Genesis. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They, each, they came each one with his household. Now we're going to have a genealogy here. And it's going to list this family because you guys need to just be reminded, and, and this may be new for some of you, that the 12 tribes of Israel are Jacob's sons. So the promise from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, he's renamed Israel, and then he has 12 boys, and there's also a daughter. And those 12 boys become the 12 tribes, which the story now continues of their sojourn or their time in Egypt and then their deliverance. And so the genealogical, genealogical record is important just to document this. And these are the sons. They are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Uh, there's a little question as to the order, but some would just say there's a matriarchal order here. These four come through Leah, who was Jacob's first wife. Now, he was tricked into marrying Leah, remember? On the wedding night, she had a veil on. He thought he was marrying his true love, Rachel. But lo and behold, it was Leah. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> what's happened here? And Uncle Laban said, well, I had to marry off the oldest one first. Uh, give me seven more years and you can have the other one as well. Rats, 
The conniver got connived because, you know, Jacob was a bit of a conniver and he got tricked by Uncle Laban. You have Issachar and Zebulun. They come later through Leah as well. You have Benjamin, who came by Rachel, uh, Jacob's true love, you would say. Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. Dan and Naphtali come through Bilhah, who is Rachel's maid or uh, a concubine. And then Gad and Asher come by, and that's verse 4, Zilpah, who was Leah's maid. I did a chapter teaching when we went through the book of Genesis called Wrestling Sisters. These sisters were going at it because they had the same husband. And some of you say, why did God allow uh, this to happen? I thought you're supposed to only be married to one woman. It's true. But sometimes another woman was brought into a marriage because of infertility and she would literally become a second wife to bear children to that man. I will tell you this. Whenever multiple wives happen in the Bible, it is a unmitigated disaster. Now, God allows free will, and there are different you know, uh, things that happen in the ancient world. They didn't have the same technologies and so forth that we have today. But when these things happen, it was a disaster. And by the way, the head of the family of Israel, Jacob, had 12 sons through four different women. That's the patriarchal family of Israel. (laughs) And if you've ever read through the story of the book of Genesis, some of it reads like a Jerry Springer week-long group of episodes. It's incredible (laughs) what happens with this family. And it gives me great hope. You know why? If God can use people like that, perhaps he can use someone like me. Amen? Because we're all saved by grace through faith. And by the way, he couldn't have found a perfect family on the planet because there are none. So sometimes we step back and we go, those people of the Old Testament, they were a mess. Yes. Just like me and you. Now, I'm not making excuses for their blunders or their sins. There were consequences, you know, as night follows day. But there you go. There's the list. You've been listening to The House of Bitter Bondage, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 1, 1 through 14. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. As you know, we love to connect with our listeners, and that means you. You can email or send Pastor Michael and the rest of us here a letter. We love to get mail, so you can get all that contact information on walkintruth.com. Or if you're ready now, here's the email address. It's contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And here's our mailing address. P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California. 92878. Again, you can write us at P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, sometimes when you hear Old Testament books taught and you hear about people with multiple wives or multiple women in their lives, you're like, okay, what's going on here? Uh, 
Were they disobedient to God? Because sometimes it seems like God doesn't correct them. Well, I'll say this. God made it very clear that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, singular, and the two will become one flesh. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, a person took on an additional wife to bear offspring if the wife, for example, was uh, infertile or barren, as the Bible puts it. But whenever someone took multiple wives to themselves, it always caused problems. And let me just say, if God didn't directly correct it in the person's life, the consequences certainly bore out the fact that it wasn't the right thing to do. So God hasn't changed his mind. He did let uh, some of this um, just happen. And that's what he does with a lot of sin. He He's given us his word. We break his law. Consequences follow. And that would be my best explanation if you have questions about why was there polygamy in the Old Testament. I know it's it can be a kind of a head scratcher, but there it is. Hey, this is Pastor Michael Lance. This is Walk in Truth. We're walking through the book of Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament, an amazing salvation story, so filled with so many incredible truths and powerful demonstrations of God's glory. And I would encourage you to uh, tell a friend about what you're hearing. Let people know, hey, the book of Exodus is airing on Walk in Truth. Remember, you can always listen to this on podcast, your favorite podcast as well. And you can always reach out to us at walkintruth.com, sending us messages, maybe how the broadcast has been a blessing to you. You can send that to us through the website, walkintruth.com. We'll catch you right here tomorrow. God bless. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 1, 1 through 14, called The House of Bitter Bondage. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people. 